Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Robcast. This is episode 100, and I believe it's 51. Can you believe that? I feel like I started doing these yesterday. That's amazing. And uh, this one is about the sign of Jonah, and we're talking about alternative wisdom, because there's conventional wisdom. Here's how the world works. And uh, earlier this year and last year, I did did a whole series of podcasts on conventional wisdom, which is the ancient wisdom tradition. Um, but now we're doing alternative wisdom, which is punk wisdom, which is subversive, which is post-conventional wisdom. And this one, this sign of Jonah, actually, sign of Jonah is something that Jesus said. And uh, I have lived, this thing has been under my skin for literally the past couple of years. It's like one of those things where you, you've read it, you've heard it, and you know there's more there, but you just have to live with it for a while. Um, so I have, I mean, I have like studied it, read what other people have said about it, meditated on it, and it's only recently that I realized, oh, uh, there's a, I knew there was a whole other world here, and, and now I feel like I'm starting to see a whole new thing, which I want to share with you. And then, of course, you'll take it and run with it. Um, now, we're in uh, book mode because I have a book coming out, May 16th, What is the Bible? And my word, I've never, this is, I think, my 10th book. I've never had a book, honestly, with this kind of love this uh, early before the book comes out. It's amazing. Just amazing. So there'll be a, a short bookstore tour. And uh, for those of you in Chicago, I know that the Chicago event sold out quite quickly. We've added a second event on the same day, just, you know, earlier in the day. So for all you Chicago folks, I'm going to do the talk and signing twice in a row on that evening of the 17th um, because we love Chicago. And then Brooklyn folks, I'll be at Powerhouse the next night, which is the 18th of May. And then the 16th, which is the day the book comes out, Last Bookshop, downtown Los Angeles. Come on, peoples. Um, and if you haven't been to Last Bookshop and you're in the Los Angeles area, you have to see this bookshop. And then I'm going to talk and we're going to sign some books and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be what we do. So we'd love to see you all that. And then another thing that's interesting that just came out last year, I did an event um, at the Chopra Center with Deepak, our brother from another mother. Deepak Chopra and I, I did a teaching there at the Chopra Center, and then Deepak and I did an event together. And these are seriously clever, wonderful people at Chopra Center. They took my teaching and an interview I did with them and an event with the talk with Deepak, and they made it into a class um, called Taking the Leap. And I was talking about how do you know when to stay and when to go as the clash said so well a while ago, should I stay or should I go? How do you know when to risk it? How do you know when the path you're on, the restlessness is just restlessness or whether it's spirit talking to you? How do you uh, work, money, passion, vocation, art? How do, you, how do you think about this jumbled hairball, which can often sort of overwhelm us and leave us stuck and overwhelmed? So they made like an online class you can take out of... Um, this teaching that I was doing there, and you can get it and take it. So go to Chopra, Chopra.com, and then go to the digital online classes. And uh, I just had a wonderful experience with them, and they just took it and ran with it. And 
it's good people out there. You know what I'm saying? Really, really beautiful people out there doing good work. So I would love to have you take my Chopra class called Taking a Leap. And uh, what else we got going? Oh, and then later in May, there'll be Portland, Seattle, um, Powell's Books in Portland. Come on. And then we'll be at Denver. I believe that's Tattered Cover. And then a couple more bookstores, uh, Minneapolis, and of course, first leg of the tour will land in Ohio. And and when I get to see you all who have been listening to the Robcast, um, I'm telling you, it's just really, really, really moving to me. Really moving to me. So, with all that said, um, let's talk about the sign of Jonah. And I'm warning you, this thing... And I know a number of you have said that this alternative wisdom, these um, last episodes, have been doing something to you. <laughs> Let me just give you a disclaimer. If this alternative wisdom is grabbing you, it's like, you know, the whole God's not playing this game, so why are we? If that's like grabbing you, oh, sign of Jonah, come on. So, uh, it's found in a couple of places in the New Testament, and uh, basically I'm trying to think how best to endorse it. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law, so the religious establishment who are sort of in charge of deciding what's legit, what's not, who's in, who's out, what's clean, what's unclean, what do we give the stamp of approval, what do we not. Um, Then some of the Pharisees, this is Matthew chapter 12, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, a sign is an act that validates, it displays, it shows. A sign is basically the establishment's way of saying, show us that you're legitimate. Show us that what you're doing is valid. Make a claim. Convince us. Prove that you you are who you claim to be. We need a demonstration that you're the real thing. By the way, can you see already, like a couple minutes in, how we're talking about the first century, but we're talking about 2017. Come on, come on, show us you're worthy. This, by the way, is a beautiful metaphor for the inner voice too, correct? Anybody have an inner chatter that's like, come on, prove your worth, show them you're good enough, perform, accomplish. You haven't received enough accolades recently. Maybe you're slipping, maybe you've lost it. Maybe you had your moment and now you're going to be a has-been. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, come on, come on. Teacher, We want to see a sign from you. Because according to conventional wisdom, a sign is how you stake your claim. It's how you prove that you're a contender. It's how you show that you're, uh, you know, in, worthy, accepted, that you're legitimate. Jesus answers, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. (laughs) How fantastic is that opening line? He says this, by the way, he says this to the most esteemed, respected people in his culture. He says, uh, basically wicked, adulterous people ask for signs, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, which is his preferred term for himself, which you just, we might translate it the human one, the human one will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
And then he goes on to talk about how the city of Nineveh, and he's referring to this ancient story about Jonah and being swallowed by a fish. And then he mentions the queen of the south. You can read it. It's fascinating. It goes on and on. But they want a sign. And his response is, no, that's completely missing the point. You have to be so derailed. You have to, be, you have, have to have so lost the plot that you would want a sign. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. <laughs> it's like, signs? You can't handle the signs. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. I don't know why I'm making that like movie trailer voice. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. You want me to heal people? You want me to do miracles? You want me to do fantastic deeds? You want me to perform? You want me to blow your mind? You want me to surprise you? You want me to do stuff that you haven't seen people do? No. Nope. You're not going to get any of that. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, which is three days in the belly. Essentially buried, dead, as good as gone, no control, hopeless, lost. And remember, in Jewish consciousness, water, um, water had these two dominant images. Water was both rain, water was both thirst being quenched, water was life-giving, but then you also had water as abyss, water as the raging seas, um, water as uh, death. And because if you weren't a sea people, if you weren't used to sailing on the ocean, then water was absolutely terrifying. So the, the idea with the water in the belly of the fish in the Jonah story is... The only sign you'll get is I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. Uh, and good is gone. Down in the abyss, buried in the earth. I know. Really? You want me to do great things? The only sign you're going to get is me losing, being crucified as an enemy of the state. That's the only sign I'm going to give you. Now, see what I mean? Because you're like me. You're like, what? Huh? Like, <laughs> I, uh, you see what I mean? How it like, you know there's something there. But whew, how do you even begin to make sense of it? So if you back up just a little earlier, like let's take this and you can hear actual pages, my friends. Actual, we are not in screen land right now. We are in actual pages made from an actual tree. Um, Matthew, if you back up just a couple of pages, you get a little context on what signs and why Jesus has this ambivalence towards doing signs, staking his claim, convincing. So hang with me here. This will take a minute of context. And then my hope is that there'll be this explosion. Um, so there's a man with leprosy, leprosy, Matthew chapter 8. He comes and kneels before Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to the man, see that you don't tell anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So this man has leprosy, Jesus heals him. And the first thing he does is don't tell anyone. Now, if you're trying to save the world, you're the Messiah, you all know this in your own desire to save the world. Uh, don't you want to let everybody know all the great things you've done? Don't you want people to see this extraordinary power that you have? Why would you heal a man and then say, don't tell anybody, just go to the priest and uh, give, essentially, offer the gift Moses commanded when you get healed, essentially, give uh, an expression of gratitude for it. Why does Jesus say, don't tell anyone? Then, next chapter, uh, Jesus 
runs into two blind men. They say, have mercy on us, son of David. Uh, the blind man comes to him and says, um, and wants to be healed. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then Jesus touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. <laughs> Why? This is like crap PR. Are you with me on this? Like, what is your publicist doing on this one? You know what I mean? How do you build a brand if you do great things and then you're like, don't tell anybody? Isn't the whole point? Isn't conventional wisdom? Isn't the culture you and I live in? Tweet it, shout it, advertise it, take out a billboard, do a Super Bowl commercial, let everybody know how awesome you are. But what we have here is a growing pattern we are recognizing of doing what is called a sign and then wanting it kept secret. Now, then notice chapter 11. Uh, Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating John the Baptist, like the opening band for Jesus. John came, neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man, that's Jesus referring to himself, the human one. He came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. By the way, Jesus refers to wisdom as a woman. Come on. I love it. It's like he says, oh, oh my, like... We played the pipe for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge. You did not mourn. John comes and does this. You say this. I come and do this. You say something completely opposite. Like, are you ever, can any, can any sign actually please you? Can anything actually live up to your expectations? Yeah, it's almost like he's saying signs are dangerous because they get people fixated on the wrong things. So a couple observations. Number one, Jesus is quite ambivalent about signs. He's conflicted. Oh, and then when he feeds the 5,000, he later says, you, only, you just came to me because you had your fill. Yeah, you just wanted food. <laughs> That's why I fed the 5,000. You all gathered because you were hungry, not for some other reason. Come on. Now, oftentimes... People read this book like it's dropped out of the sky, so it's like he knows everything. You could also read it developmentally. You see what I'm saying? It's like he's realizing this healing, restoring sight to the blind, cleansing lepers. It has a down, feeding the 5,000. Now people are coming to you for food. Now they're desperate for you to do another one of your tricks. You with me on this? You can give them a hit. You can give them momentary reprieve. There's this passage where he raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. But as we all know, Lazarus is still going to die again. So here's the thing about sign. A sign, you get a little reprieve. And then things return to how they've always been. You feed 5,000 people, you have that kind of power. You arrange, you figure it out. I actually think it's about the rich sharing with the poor was actually the miracle. The people who had enough food sharing with the people in the crowd who didn't, that's actually the miracle. Come on now. But uh, people will be hungry tomorrow. 
raise a person from the dead, they're still going to die. So the sign might provide a momentary reprieve and healing and sight, which is beautiful, but the person's still going to die. They may get some other disease, and the people that you just fed will be hungry later today or tomorrow. Uh, I've heard this referred to as Batman fixes. It's like Batman... And think about the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. What generally happens? Batman gets more depressed until the city turns on him and everybody gets more frustrated, right? Batman stories, uh, and the reason why Batman grabs us is because, did we just go, by the way, from the sign of Jonah in first century Jewish culture to Batman? Yes, we did. Here's the thing about Batman fixes. Batman swoops in and prevents a robbery, but tomorrow that robber might just rob somebody else. Batman comes in and stops the bank robbery, but there might be a bank robbery on the other side of town. So you can stop a robbery, but people still rob. You can catch some thieves, but people still steal things. And so what happens with Batman, Superman, go down the list often of superheroes, is the thing begins to turn because people are like, hey, you, 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 stopped, you stopped evil and you did good. Where were you this time? And so you have this moment when the masses turn on the superhero because the superhero can do fixes, momentary reprieves, but Batman can't fix the entire system that creates the conditions where people would steal. Are you with me? It's a momentary reprieve, but the whole system is jacked up. You, my friends, you get a pay raise. Awesome. Now, probably you'll just adjust your standard of living to the pay raise, right? And then money will be tight again. We get noticed and it feels good. But then what about next time? They complimented us. Awesome. But the next time they didn't compliment us, well, is something wrong this time? Did, did I not measure up? The sign, the validation, the claim, the legitimacy, it, it's beautiful and it works and the ego loves it and it can be very powerful. But then tomorrow, you're back where you started. Are you with me on this? And here, let me... Let me uh, tell you a story. Um, I'm trying to think how to, I need to tell this. You understand the spirit, right, of where I'm coming from on this, because um, when I was growing up, Time Magazine was it. Time Magazine was like, the cover of Time Magazine meant you'd made it. I mean, Time Magazine growing up had like mythological significance. You'd go to the grocery store and there would be a Time magazine. There would be somebody on the cover and you'd be like, whoa, um, that was something. And people would even speak of, they made it to the cover of Time magazine, meaning they did it. Um, so, so I grew up in this magazine, had such, such mythological power in the home that I grew up in and in the culture that I was raised in and in my own life. In 2011, I wrote a book uh, called Love Wins and everybody who read it really liked it. <laughs> Um, and Time Magazine did a cover story about my book. And so I'll never forget the call from the publicist saying, it's going to be a cover story. 
And I remember going to the store and there was the cover story about me and my book. And in the world that I came up in, that was like, that was something. That was something in 2011 to me. Um, and then I remember seven days later being in the same store and somebody different was on the cover. <laughs> Are you with me on this? And I remember having this, oh. And I realize now the reason, that, like what, was help, what has helped me un understand this sign of Jonah is, oh, you can be on the cover of Time Magazine, which is a beautiful thing. We have no problem with form. We have no problem with ambition. We have no problem with trying to create great art. We have no problem with trying to feed people. We have no problem, you know what I'm saying? We have no problem with going after it. Especially like if you're trying to help kids, whatever, grow in literacy. If you're trying to get people water who don't have it. If you're trying to run a good, honest business, we want you to be ambitious. We want you to go after things. We want you to have goals. We want you to work hard. Yes. See, we have no problem with form. It's the spirit that animates the form. You with me on that? It, there's no problem with ambition. It's whether the ambition is motivated by an unhealthy, toxic spirit of greed and that can't get, or is it, is it motivated by a joyous generosity of I get to do this work? You see what I mean? It's form animated by spirit. That's a, We probably should do a whole episode on that. We have no problem with the cover of Time Magazine. The problem is when that thing would get in somewhere and do something deep in you like, now I'm legit. Now I'm worthy. Now I'm, because here's what happens with Time Magazine. Seven days later, they put somebody else on the cover. And I remember standing in the store thinking, and, and also because with that story and with the release of that book, there was a bunch of people who had a problem with that for whatever reason. So uh, I was also at the time learning, oh, if things do go bigger, they bring with it a bunch of stuff that no one said they would bring with it. So um, it, was, it was a beautiful thing to be a part of and to keep doing my work, but it also brought with it all of this scrutiny and buzz and feedback that were sort of annoying, actually, and draining uh, and obnoxious. <laughs> Seven days later, Time Magazine comes out with another issue and they don't put your story on the cover. So if your worth, value, legitimacy, goodness is resting on those signs, those signs come and go, signs end, people will be hungry tomorrow. So when these established religious leaders say, give us a sign, Jesus doesn't immediately do some fantastic magic trick where they all go, wow, he really is awesome. Jesus says, the only sign you'll get is the sign of Jonah, which is what? I'm going to own the pain, name the pain, bear it, I'm going to go down into the depths of all the lostness, leastness, pain, and agony of the world, and then I'm going to come out the other side. Now, stay with me. What is he getting at? 
for many of us, we figured out early on how to stay just a step ahead of the nothingness. We, we figured out how to hustle, how to work, how to discipline, how to network, how to achieve, how to be the first one to the office, the last one to leave, how to make sure that if it wasn't us, it was our kids who are accomplishing and achieving, which keeps all that nothingness and agony and questions, uh, just keeps it a layer down, all the pain and loss and not enoughness and unworthiness. It's like we can just keep that voice quiet if we just keep a step ahead of the pain. And so the hits, the claims, the signs, whatever we can manufacture to keep that pain at bay, you get it for a moment, but then you have to get the next one. And essentially what Jesus is saying is you want to really live? Die to that entire point-keeping system of clinging, propping up, striving, grasping. You really want to live? Sign of Jonah, man. Die to all of that. Essentially, he says, I'm going to die to the entire system that needed signs in the first place to give it legitimacy. Come on, raise your glasses. I'm going to die to the whole idea that anybody or anything ever needed you to prove anything. I'm going to be buried along with a system that gives you points for your goodness, your rightness, your orthodoxness, your morality, your accomplishments, your bank account, and all of the thousands of other little ways you figure out to post on Facebook how cool, how together, and how on it you are. Come on. He essentially says, I'm going to identify with all that's lost, broken, poor, forgotten, embarrassing, shameful, and not enough. I'm going to identify and be buried in all of that. Because if you can own your pain, if you can name it, if you can come to see that it's your death that saves you, well, now, now you have life. Now you can have some joy. Now you're in a different mode of being. So let's uh, think of some very practical examples. Imagine a business where everybody is working very, very hard to remind ourselves that everything is going great. There are no flaws. There are no problems here. Everybody's getting along great. Everything is awesome. And it's all about the strength of who we are and what we're doing and beating our competition and being a step ahead of everybody. And so it appears at strength. But just below the surface, these people aren't getting along with these people. The market is subtly shifting and everybody's a little nervous about where it's all headed and does the CEO understand what it's really like to be down on the factory floor and why are sales and marketing still at each other's throats? And our competition is experimenting with some new things that might actually be quite clever and helpful. And are we behind? And so you have the thing at the, the top layer and then you have all the stuff that's happening. And so what often happens is everybody spends an extraordinary amount of time reminding ourselves how great it is. And so it's a strength, but it's a strength that's actually quite weak because it's propping itself up. But imagine if everybody said, hey, we have some flaws here, we have some problems, we have some tension, 
We have some anxieties. We have some things that aren't efficient. What if you start naming it and owning it? All of a sudden now, that's a weakness, but it's actually quite strong because there's nothing hidden in the shadows and the edges. Think about a marriage where everybody pretends like everything's fine and yet there's a whole world of stuff just below the surface. And so, yeah, 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 everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine that everybody says and both parties in the marriage say when in fact everything's not fine and both know it. And so it's a strength and a stability, but it's actually quite weak and fragile. It's like a house of cards. But imagine they dig everything up. Imagine all the pain and all the stuff from the past gets brought up, maybe with a therapist, maybe a spiritual guide, maybe it's just in a hotel somewhere, who knows? Maybe it's in the backyard with a glass of wine. All this stuff gets dragged up and it's ugly and it's bloody and it's like, are we even gonna survive this? And so it's weak and the whole thing is hanging in the balance. And yet in that moment, in all of the death and nothingness and pain and loss, it's actually probably closer to strength because now we're not submerging and and desperately clinging to the few signs we have that we're legitimate and we have it all together. Or think about family systems where everybody spends an extraordinary amount of time talking about how how fine everything is or pretending everything's fine when it's not. And so the power of owning all the nothingness and loss and failure and inefficiency and whatever language you want to use for it. Yeah, is now you're dying to the system that needed all that stuff and all that propping up in the first place. Yeah, so you want a sign? You're not going to get, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, three days buried in the belly of a fish, three days buried in the earth. You go down into that. You go down into your death, despair, hopelessness, futility, all the pain and shame and humiliation, you go down into that, you face it, you embrace it, you name it, you sit in it, you shed those tears, now you can really live. By the way, you've seen the sign of Jonah. A good memoir, a good autobiography, what happens? What does the person do? A good one. They take you into what really happened. And what makes a good memoir? What makes a good story? I was awesome, and then I got even better, and then I tried some new things, and hey, I was great at that too. And then I branched out, and I tried some even newer things, and guess what? I was awesome at that too. No, no, we don't, we're not going to read that. Who cares? Ugh. What is a good memoir? What's a good autobiography? They take you into their pain. They take you into their addiction, their loss, their nothingness, their futility. The person tells you what it was really like and you feel it with them. You go down into the belly of the fish with them. And then when they're coughed up on the beach, you're like, now that's legit. Think of how many memoirs follow. I thought I was awesome. I clanged. I I was clinging. I was grasping. I was striving. And then it all fell apart. And then in the very crashing, hitting the wall, coughed up on the beach, in my nothingness, I gradually began to build a new life out of humility and gratitude. And that's why I'm writing the story. You know, all of my recovery brothers and sisters who are celebrating another day clean and sober, you know exactly 
what I'm talking about. You had to do a search, searching moral inventory. You had to go all the way into all the ways that you made a mess of it. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you want a sign? You want me to show you how great I am? Do some magic tricks? That's not going to fix anything. Want me to give another example of how I'm legitimate? That's not going to fix anything. I'm going to die to the whole order, the whole system that's rigged and needs all of those hits. And so I'm going to die to the whole system that needed signs in the first place so that we can all really live. Come on. Come on, are you with me? Now, you can see what religious people did to this. Stay with me here. Religious people did that, took this and went, oh, sign of Jonah. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Three days, buried, rose from the dead. You got to believe that. What they did is they turned this into something you either believe or you don't. You see what I'm saying? This got turned into, but what is Jesus doing here? He's inviting us into a way of living sign of Jonah is an entrance into the deepest realities of the universe, which is death and resurrection, which is surrender so that you can really live, which is loss and owning up to all of it so that you're then free from having to pretend like that's not how it really is. So what you can see, and especially perhaps if you grew up in a, in a tradition where they read stories like this a lot, or they made a, a big thing about, about Jesus, you can see what happened is they turn this into, well, do you believe it or not? And basically you can keep it right at your head. You can just keep it with cognitive assent. You either believe it or you don't. You're either in or you're out. You're either part of the tribe or you're not. You're either one of us or you're one of them. Like, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Oh, you don't? So-and-so denies it? Well, I have questions about their theology. I don't know if that's orthodox. When he's not giving you like a litmus test that you sort of in your brain or your whatever sort of say yes or no to, he's inviting you into a pattern of life, which of course is the pattern of the universe, death and resurrection, down and then rising. Obviously your cells, what's 300 million cells died while you were listening to this podcast, but then your body also produced 300 million new cells. That's a, there's a death and a rebirth going on inside of you biologically, all around you, the seasons, things die in winter, they spring forth in the spring. Like this is not some sort of new idea. This is how the whole thing works. I know. I get actually, I get kind of, <laughs> I get cranked up about this because you're, when you begin to enter into the sign of Jonah and understand this, you are lining yourself up with the whole way the universe works. Because here's the thing, the new cannot arise until the old has been buried. The new cannot spring forth until the old has died. For something new to explode into existence, the old thing has to pass away. That's how it works. So... You want new life, then you have to die. You want new patterns, you have to die to the old patterns. And dying is difficult. And we cling because we're, it's comfortable and it's known. It's like a familiar pair of sweatpants. Think about relationships where you've got these patterns you've been in for years. They're like ruts, which is just essentially a grave with the, the ends kicked out. You have like these ways of doing things. You think about an office space where we've been doing it this way for seven years, 
Tuesday, Carl does the faxes. Wednesday, Chiffon brings in donuts. Thursday, you know what I'm saying? By the way, there's a woman named Chiffon in your office. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is how we do it. You want something new? You want new life? Then you have to die to the old. And deep in human nature is a clinging to that which is safe and known. Think about it in relationships. People will stay in a relationship because it's known. I call it WBS, warm body syndrome. Better just to stay with this person in our same old stale habits than to actually die to this so that we could live in a new way. Yeah. And so these religious leaders say, give us a sign because that's how the system works. Prop yourself up. Give us an impressive Instagram post. <laughs> give us a bestseller. Come on, show us you're worthy. Show us your fourth quarter returns. Show us how well-dressed your kids are and how well they're performing in school. Are we, are we getting close now? Show us your uh, salary increases over the past seven years. Come on, show us the square footage. You're, you, you sold a smaller house and bought a bigger house, right? You're, you're, you're climbing up, right? Like, show us a sign. And Jesus says, the only sign you'll ever get is I'm going to die to the whole thing that ever needed signs in the first place. Now, obviously his healings and obviously the feeding of the 5,000, these, these signs are understood as signs of something. He's showing people something, but he also has this like ambivalence with it. Like, I'm going to show you a sign, but I also understand that this could easily spiral out of control. And I'm trying to do something bigger than just fix your pressing problem. I'm trying to invite you into a whole new order, a whole new realm, a whole new mode of being. And for that to happen, the old thing has to die. He even says at one point, like this temple, the temple, which is the center of the whole thing, temple has to come down. Which was just like, are you kidding me? Imagine somebody, I mean, I'm trying to think of an, uh, imagine somebody being like, oh, uh, the White House and the Capitol, the whole thing has to come down. You, you, that whole thing. Imagine somebody saying like, oh yeah, Wall Street. Mm -mm, the whole th Wall Street has to end. Imagine somebody saying like, no, the whole thing as it is has to end so that a whole new thing. I mean, that's in the first century what he's doing here. Sign of Jonah, the end of a temple, the end of the dominant order. That obviously, this is why he's killed. He wasn't killed for being nice. He's killed because he's saying the whole thing, it's, it's not working. It's corrupt. It's not honoring to the divine. That's a whole nother episode, my friends. But this is loaded visceral. You can obviously see the seeds here of his crucifixion coming because he's saying to the established elite, no, I'm not playing by your rules because all they do is perpetuate a system that keeps you in power and the masses miserable. And so for you, my brothers and sisters, the sign of Jonah, you stop pretending you stop bearing, you stop repressing, you stop covering over, you, you die to everything that needs to be died to. You confess, you drag it up, you name it, you, you sit in the midst of it. Yeah, and all that point-keeping, exhaustion, all of that, what have you done lately to prove your worth? Ah, I'm not playing that game anymore. You know what I'm saying? That's your mantra. I'm not playing that game anymore. Yeah, and now, now, now here, actually one more thing, as long as we're on a roll. The whole Jonah story is that Jonah is supposed to take good news of healing and redemption to Nineveh, but he won't do it. So he goes the other direction and gets swallowed by the fish. Once he gets coughed up out of the fish, that's the story. Then uh, 
he, then he does go to Nineveh. It's like he can't bear going to, because Nineveh was the arch enemy. They were the tormentor. They were the evil empire. So when he's told, go bless your enemy, he can't do it. He goes the other way. Then once he's coughed up out of the fish, now he's ready to go to the enemy in love. So you want to be a person of justice? You, you want to be an activist? You want to stand up for the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, people who've been pushed around, people who've been given no voice, people who have basic needs that are unmet? Go in to your own loss and deadness. Go into your own not measuring up and unworthiness. Go into all that and enter into the sign of Jonah. And now, now you're fearless. Now you're much likely to embrace those who aren't like you. Now you're fierce because all the stuff that everybody's scared of, you actually went into the heart of it and you're still here. You see why this is so powerful? You go into all your not good enoughness and all of the pain that we're all terrified. You go into that and you face it and you realize that God was never playing that game in the first place. Now you're far more, you're, now you're fearless. Now you're far more likely to take risks and to be, and to love people that perhaps your tribe hasn't loved and to enter into spaces that before you never would have entered into. Because what's the worst that could happen? They don't like you. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't read your book. <laughs> yeah, they don't understand. Ooh, you've, you've been into your own depths. You've been into the belly of your own fish. Yeah, so some guy says something about you online, whatever. Some woman at the park who says something about your kid, whatever. That's not a big deal. Come on. Come on, we're not playing that game. That's my friends, a few thoughts. Now, as you know, on these sermons that I do, this is just the, this discussion starter. That's how I see it. I give you some things that, have, that are knocking around inside of me, that are helping me see the world in a new way, see my own life in a new way. I hand them to you in love and gratitude, and then you take it and uh, you do what you need to do with it. You wrestle with it. Uh, so there's a few thoughts, my friend my friends, on the sign of Jonah. May you, my brothers and sisters, may you come to see that God is playing a different game. And may you in all of those moments when everything around you or within you is demanding a sign, may you be reminded that you've been a child of the divine the whole time, that you've been loved, that nothing can separate you from this love that you've been in the whole time, you've been at the party the whole time. There's nothing left to prove. It's been a gift the whole time. And now in response to this gift, in response to this grace, in response to the life that flows out of this death, in response to the Sunday after the Friday, now go do your work, be fierce, be strong, be true. Listen to your moral compass. Listen for the cry of the oppressed. Use your talents. Be ambitious. Throw yourself into it. Give us your best. Take your best shot. All your training, your passion, your anger at injustice, whatever school you went to, whatever talents you use that stuff, man, go and do your thing. And we're with you every step of the way. Grace.
and peace, my friends.